You're listening to CAMS Talk, a podcast brought to you by the service users and professionals from East London NHS Foundation Trust. A podcast where you can hear us discuss, debate and challenge issues around child and adolescent mental health in the UK. everyone, welcome to our latest edition of the CAMS Talk podcast. Today I'm joined by um, four of our young people and um, one of our one of my colleagues from CAMS. So hi Roshni. Hi, I'm Roshni. Um, I was an ex-service user of the eating disorder team about uh, three years ago now and I do participation. Thanks, Roshni. Eliza, hi. Hello, um, I'm Eliza and I was in CAMS from 2014 to 2015 um, and have been involved in service user participation uh, kind of ever since, really. So, yeah. Thanks, Eliza. Hi, Safa. Hi, I'm Safa. Um, I have been part of CAMS for about a year. I was just uh, just discharged today so I've been part also of um, the participation group for the last three to four months and yeah thanks Safa and congratulations thank you <laughs> Shana nice to see you hey um, I'm Shana and I was part of CAMS from 2014 to possibly 2018 can't really remember when but yeah um, and I've been involved in participation quite a while, although I've taken a bit of a break. Thanks, Shana. And um, I'm delighted that we've got Helen with us today. Hi, Helen. Hi, everyone. I'm Helen from the CAMS Emotional Behavioural Team in Bedford, um, where I offer different types of treatment and therapy. Um, so thanks for having me. So today we wanted to have a conversation about um, how easy it is for people of different backgrounds and cultures to access our services, how much they know about who CAMS are and what we do. Um, Helen, do you want to explain a little bit about your interest in this field of work? Yeah, thanks, Nikki. Um, So I work with lots of young people from different cultures, and I know from my own caseload is... I have um, a lot of young people that perhaps disengage from the service um, and some of that I don't understand maybe why. Um, So today I really wanted to, you know, have a conversation with young people from different cultures to to kind of understand what some of those barriers might be. Um, And I'd like to start with looking at right from the beginning of that journey of referral into the service and how you actually found us, if that's okay. So where should we start with that? Safa, you, you've probably had the most recent um, referral into CAMS. Um, can you think back to, to how that was for you and how you found out who CAMS were? Yes, yeah, so I did a lot of research um, when I was going through my struggles with mental health. I did a lot of research on if a young person, because at the time I was around 15, 16, Um, I wasn't too sure if I was able to go myself, if I had to have a parent with me, um, what the procedure would be like, um, would I be put into a psych ward, um, 
just different thoughts crossing my mind and I just wasn't wasn't sure what would actually happen so um my way of working that out was google google was my best friend at the time um so I would google anything and everything and see what would come up and just write it down and so I saw that you know you can go to the GP um from a young age by yourself um so that's what I did I made an appointment it took a lot of courage um to actually make the appointment and attend but once I attended um after that it was a simple process um the GP the doctor spoke to me about um how I was feeling um he made a diagnosis and then referred me to CAMS um and I was I had my first session within um four to six weeks of uh, going to the GP and yeah it was a very simple procedure um it didn't take a lot of time at all and also I was put on medication at the time um as a combined therapy um but yeah it was a very simple procedure for me um and obviously later on I did tell my mum and explained you know this is how I was feeling and stuff and she did take it on quite well for a parent who had no clue what was going on. So, um, yeah. Thanks, Safa. Um, so you actually made the decision that you wanted to go through that process on your own and at that point not actually speak to your family about it. Yes. Um, I wasn't sure how I, my family would react. So I didn't want to go through the process where... If it was a bad reaction, then I would be stuck and I wouldn't know what to do. I'd rather just go on the process myself um, as I was dealing with it myself. So um, I did go through, through that process and in the end it did work out well for me. Um, but obviously people find different ways of going. Some people are very open about their mental health with their parents, some aren't. So it just depends on the individual, I guess. Can I ask how your GP was when you were in um, discussing some of those issues, how how comfortable you felt? So when I initially went into the room, I was very kind of nervous. Um, I was scared. I didn't want to see anyone I know um, at the GP surgery. Um, I didn't. Yeah, I wasn't too sure because I was only I was quite young and I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into. If that made sense. Um, but once I spoke to the doctor and um, explained how I was feeling, I was feeling more comfortable every time. Um, every so, like, often you'd make sure, like, are you okay to carry on talking? Um, you know, if you don't want to talk, you can write things down instead. So I found it a very comfortable procedure um, overall. And I felt like my feelings were definitely taken into consideration. And I was happy that it was a very simple process. That's really good to hear. That's really positive. Mm, yeah. um, I wonder, um, Roshni, can I come to you? Maybe what your experience was and how you how you originally accessed the service, whether it was something that you spoke to your parents about or... Yeah, so um, I originally accessed the service through school, um, so with my pastoral team, um, and they then referred me to CAMS. And I thought this was a really good way especially as you know we're talking about um asian culture and stuff like this about confidentiality um this is a way you know to express your own emotions and feelings without getting 
the community involved because your school community is so different from your home community I guess um but yeah I was pretty open and honest with my parents um from the beginning because I was quite young I was 13 um so at the at that time you're not allowed to um you know see a clinician by yourself even and that was difficult really difficult to start with and that I think is a massive um barrier in care and in accessing services because people might not necessarily want everybody to know and information to spread like that so thank you Helen, is there, a, is there actually a set age at which we can see or clinicians are able to see young people on their own or is it very much taken on an individual basis? Do, do you know? I don't know. I mean, I know when I've met with young people that as young as sort of 13 is that for an assessment at least, I would maybe speak with the young person for most of that to get their needs or understand what their needs are. And then I would ask the parents come in. But I guess being sort of an under 16, I would say that parents need to partially be involved in that because they're kind of, they they have that ultimate responsibility. And I guess any safeguarding coming from that would need parents to manage the safety plan. Um, I guess... I can hear that. I think it's very hard when you've got young people that kind of want that privacy. But is that is? Do you think that's kind of? That's what I'm trying to understand. Is it is it a cultural thing where do you think your parents don't understand so much, or and it's hard to talk about mental health within your culture? Yeah. So I think it is really really difficult because um, of the worries about confidentiality and privacy within the family. It's not as if um, your parents. Uh, don't believe that your mental health problem exists or anything like that. They themselves are more uh, likely not to have any experience with it. It can see can still be seen as taboo as well. Um, and you know, there's a very you know high status role I think in Asian uh, culture, um, and you don't want to you know be frowned upon within the community. And that's ideally what they think, but it's just not the truth. Thank you. Elisa, what what was your experience of of originally accessing the service? Yeah, so um, for me, it was like Roshni, it was through school. So um, initially, my English teacher was my first kind of like intervention. And she was the first one to recognise I was struggling um, and wasn't okay. And so she kept me back after class, uh, after our lesson one day. And um, spoke to me about it and I just remember my heart like beating out of my chest and my tummy churning and I was like, oh my God, what's going on? Um, and I think in that moment, one of the massive things going through my head was what, what is my family going to think? What are they going to say? Um, and so, but she was fantastic and she spoke to me about it and, and she told me kind of going forward, this is what's going to happen. Um, we'll refer you to the safeguarding team. They'll have a chat with you and then with you and, and your parent and and then you'll work with them going forward. And thankfully I had a really good pastoral safeguarding team at school, they were brilliant. Um, so actually later that day, the safeguarding teacher uh, or the safeguarding team uh, pulled me out of the lesson later on that day, had a chat with me, spoke to me about kind of what had been going on and kind of like the concerns my English teacher had identified. And then um, my safeguarding teacher explained going forward 
that she would be calling my mum in to have a meeting with myself and and her. Um, and it, whilst it was all very overwhelming and and it was very scary, I think the one good thing was that it was being explained to me throughout what was going to happen next. And I think that was really valuable. Um, so I came home from school that day and when my mum got back from work, she's like, I got a teacher for, I got a call from your teacher, uh, what, but she didn't quite say exactly what's going on, what's happened, are you all right? Um, and I remember at that point, I was like, well, she's going to find out tomorrow anyway. So I started crying <laughs> and I told my mum kind of what had been going on. Um, and my mum didn't say a lot at that point. I remember telling her and she just kind of, she, I think she obviously t- trying to take it in and trying to comprehend kind of what, kind of everything I had said. Um, and she didn't say a lot, but she did cry. And, and she said that she blamed herself. And I think that's definitely common within a lot of parents that I've kind of met throughout my time in participation and, and other work that I've done. And so the next day we had this meeting with my safeguarding team and they were wonderful and so good. And so they suggested that, um, so they did a referral to my GP, I think. At some point I ended up at the GP. I think my safeguarding t- team mentioned that's the best way to get help from CAMS and they felt that was the best way going forward for me. And so when I met with my GP, interestingly, he was actually Muslim Pakistani as well, same background as myself and my family. And um, he was really, really good. And he kind of, um, he was asking, so obviously asking about kind of what had been going on and um, diagnosed me with generalized anxiety disorder and um, began my referral to CAMS. And I think actually what was quite nice was that actually he, um, he did kind of draw upon, he was like, you know, I too being from a Pakistani background um, have had somebody in my family who also has gone through similar things as yourself and mental health struggles. And, uh, and it was a young person and he was just saying about how kind of it's difficult, but you know, it's really important that you've come forward and you've spoken about it and it, it may be a tad more challenging, um, you know, with cultural norms and societal norms and that, but He's like, it's a really great thing to have been able to come forward. And he did also kind of like reassure and say, you know, this young person in my family also struggled to come forward at first. But then when she did, it was like really good for her. So and that's how I ended up at CAMS. Yeah. It's so great to hear about the the, the amazing GP support that you've that you've mm-hmm. all had because um, I know that that's something that you know not everybody can experience or does experience. So it's so great that you've had that support. Um, Shana, coming to you. Um, did you originally go to see your GP or talk um, to your parents at all? I was, I think, yeah, it was school. So um, obviously school identified concerns and stuff and they tried to help me with it. I didn't really take much in from what they were saying. So it got to the point where they just sort of said, okay, we're going to tell your parents, you know, see the school nurse. So I got a referral from my school nurse. And then obviously as soon as my mum heard, um, she was like the first thing she did was she booked me into a doctor's appointment Um, so like before she'd even gone to see school she was like okay this is what we're going to do she booked a doctor's appointment um we'll go in we'll have the meeting she sort of made me something to eat and we just sort of sat together um obviously then I went to school and she sort of found out all of the stuff I'd been withholding so um yeah that was cool to say the least (laughs) um but like she reacted pretty well I mean 
as well as you're going to react when, you know, you're told that your child's not doing very well. Um, yeah, um, but everyone seems to have had really good experiences with their GP. Mine kind of just um, took me, like, obviously we went into the room, he looked me up and down and then referred me to CAMS and that was it. <laughs> like, that was absolutely it. Um, so no real discussion about what was going on? Um, no, like literally, um, I walked in, they were like, what's the problem? So my mum explained like all of the eating stuff and um, he just kind of looked at me and then was like, okay, I'm sending a referral, which was like, okay, thank you. But he didn't offer any support or anything, especially since like the waiting between um, the GP and camps wasn't actually sort of spoken about either so you got the right outcome but it sounds like that process wasn't completely as supportive as it could have been no it, it wasn't at all <laughs> yeah 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 can I ask um about once you kind of you've all you all talked about very positive apart from obviously Shana about the GP making those referrals or kind of coming into CAMS what was kind of your experience of kind of the assessment process and the assessment time? I don't know who wants to answer that first, like the time scale of waiting and actually having an assessment. I think I was seen, I was going to be seen pretty quickly, but um, I was due to be on holiday then. So they had to push it back an extra month. Um, So, I mean, it was quick, but not so quick because of the holiday. Yeah. I mean, for myself, um, I actually do remember that the initial waiting time before getting uh, initial assessment was about four four months for myself. And I think that was quite similar with a lot of other young people at the time. And I do remember having a conversation with Nikki about this as well. Um, and, and we did some work actually within user participation, within group sessions about um, improving waiting times because I know that that kind of four month wait was a concern for everyone the mm-hmm. safeguarding team at school my family at home um, and also I think that time gives you as a young person who is set to have counselling and therapy more time to overthink it and scare yourself out of it um, I think for everyone it just heightens the anxiety and the that's already there in terms of starting therapy and I think that, that four month wait was definitely um I mean it scared me I think more so than it because I had you know you make it so much worse in your head and you you know blow it out of proportion and come up with all these alternative horror stories that could <laughs> go wrong and, and you you do scare yourself about it I think and, and my family were probably my mum was like very worried about me during that time and kept like checking in and that's also you know oh leave me alone as well and school kept checking in as well and and whilst I appreciate that that intervention is necessary in that four months as well it's very overwhelming and scary I think so it was quite a long way um yeah thank you Roshni um obviously I just was was going to say that that was a few years ago and although there's no guarantees about you know our waiting times at the moment I know they've massively improved um obviously things are slightly different at the moment with the COVID um sort of uh, still affecting our service and how we run um but yeah that was five years ago Elisa yeah that was five years ago so that was a long time ago as well so it's yeah. glad that things have changed as well yeah 
Roshni, were you able to access the support quite quickly? Uh, yes, actually really, really quickly. Um, I remember most probably in about two weeks um, from seeing a GP to actually having a referral into CAMS. Um, but then once I was in CAMS for the initial assessment, I think I actually didn't have any um, like individual therapy um, or anything like that until like after inpatient because I went into cancer about I don't know a month and a half um and then inpatient and then after that seeing individually so I don't know my experience might be a bit different in that terms but um yeah I could say it was really good and also um really similar to you Elisa but I used the school support as well during that time too um, which was really helpful but also can be annoying because it kind of reminds you that okay you're not okay and sometimes you just want some time to yourself. Looking back on that now though I suppose at the time maybe it felt quite intrusive but looking back on that now can you see how that support benefited you? Yeah, for sure. Like you needed it. Otherwise things would have just spiraled out of control. And at the time you're really reluctant and you're like, I don't need all this help, but I promise looking back, you'll, it'll all be worth it. Safa? Yeah. So when I, between the time of going to my GP and then attending my assessment for CAMS, it was probably about two months, I think. So about eight weeks. Um, and it, for me, it felt like the longest eight weeks of my life, but it wasn't. Um, just needed some patience. But once I did have my assessment at CAMS and arranged my next meeting, things went a lot more smooth, I think. I feel like for because I um, suffer from depression, so I feel like I just needed someone to talk to and be able to just tell how I was feeling because... There was a lot going on at home as well um, with my father, who's a stroke um, survivor and a mum who cares for him full time. So I didn't really have an outlet because I was kind of responsible um, for my family as well. Um, so I feel like just having that person to talk to on a weekly basis really helped me um, just realise kind of what's happening, what I'm going through and that things will get better. Um, the wait time wasn't too bad for me actually between the um, going to the GP and the actual um, CAMS assessment so overall I feel like that process was pretty great for me I was in CAMS for about a year and a half um, and it definitely benefited me for sure because although I had CAMS as well I did have my college who were really amazing um, you know, I had them come check on me once every few weeks or they've always said to me, whenever you, you feel down in college or anything's bugging you, if you're stressed with college work, you come to us. So I was very lucky in the sense of having someone to um, actually go and speak to in college as well as outside. Um, so, yeah. Can I ask, um, still on referrals and kind of access to services, um, and obviously being referred in, you've met for kind of an assessment. What Was there any um, difficulty kind of telling um, f friends and the wider family 
um, about your difficulties and you accessing an external like service or CAMS? So with me, my close friends um, knew. Um, I did speak to them quite a lot about what I was going through because they didn't, you know, there was periods of times where I couldn't go out with them either because I was in bed because of my depression or because I was caring for my family. So I was very open with my friends. Um, wider family don't really know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so like my mum knows. Um, my sister, I feel like she probably does know. Um, but wider family, I just haven't really said anything because it doesn't affect my relationships with them. So um, I kind of kept that to myself from that perspective. But with friends and like very close friends, I have told them and they do know and are very aware and helpful um, for when I have had my down periods. But yeah. Shana, what was your experience of, you know, the people around you knowing what was going on? I think for me, it wasn't a huge deal because my friends sort of already knew. Um, my family was pretty open about it. Like my mom was open about it with like her sort of sisters because she's really close with them. And they were all really good about it. I think the only problems were just like general, like not really understanding it as much. However, since they'd experienced it with like um, people close to them and in their family, like it is hereditary. So it was sort of more accepted because it you know it's happened before um I think a lot of the time it was just trying to figure out how to talk to me without it you know escalating or being um sort of more difficult for me but um yeah I think like being the first so like I was the oldest like kid and stuff so being the first person to sort of go through like therapy and stuff definitely opened it up to like like my brother and like the young, my, you know, the younger members of my family, because, you know, it's a lot more fresh. They realize now that there is a lot more help out there than like was back then. So in that respect, yeah, it's been sort of different. But aside from that, like everyone kind of knew and everyone was like trying to be helpful, whether it, they were or what they tried. It's good to hear that it's had a positive impact mm -hmm. on your siblings and that it's it's made them feel more more comfortable with addressing any issues that they have or might have in the future. That's really good to hear. Um, Roshni? Yeah, um, I was going to go back to the friendship thing. I found that my friends were like my closest support because that's, um, again, like you can be as open and honest with them and they're not going to say anything to your parents. Whereas, you know, Cam's, I always feared, oh my God, they're going to tell my parents everything. Um, and yeah, I found that really, really helpful. Um, more so than actually therapy itself, I think. They're really vital uh, friends in like recovering stuff. So especially when you're from this type of culture and you may not be able to be as open and honest with your parents as you'd like to be. So were you constant, constantly aware of like the confidentiality issue and whether that was going to be yeah. breached or? That was a massive issue for me. I just wouldn't open up in the end. That was my issue. And I thought as myself, as a quite mature at the age, well, I was 13. I did think I was mature enough to, you know, see somebody by myself. And I had like, you know, the capacity um, to do so, but that was never an option. So it did lead me to hide more things. And that's what I'm scared about in, if we don't break down the stigma in this culture, 
and that that would just lead to more and more people doing that so yeah thank you Elisa, was that something were you were you aware when you were sort of having therapy sessions of you know what you were saying whether it would be shared and how that might impact the people around you um, it was definitely something that played on my mind, but I think actually quite a lot came out in my initial assessment um, with my mum. So I think mum kind of knew the majority of stuff and what was talked about in my therapy sessions. A lot of that had been kind of brought up in my initial assessment. So, and I guess my kind of thinking was if anything gets back to anyone in the family, it would be my mum. So, I mean, I was kind of a bit, there were definitely things I was like, oh, I don't really know whether I want mum to know that or that. And I was like, if I say this, will it? I remember actually saying to my therapist quite a bit, does my mum need to know about this? Or does she need to know about that? And and my therapist was really good because she would always say, I'll only ever tell your parents if you are in danger. But apart from that, you can say anything openly. And that reassurance actually was really nice, I think, and actually quite helpful and probably made me trust her a bit more. Um, definitely. I don't know. I think... My family, thankfully, actually have been really, really great. And they all know, like my immediate family, my auntie and uncle, other auntie and uncle, um, my nan, mum, they all are aware. And so I think I was I was less concerned about people finding out because they were quite understanding. But I definitely will draw on something that Shana and Roshni both mentioned. And it's that whilst they were really understanding and really want to help, it's very much a case of they just don't get it. And that might sound really harsh, but it's really difficult for them to understand why you're feeling the way you are with like anxiety. And, and I assume the same would apply to all other mental health as well, like depression and stuff. It's really difficult, I think, without having that kind of experience. And, and I suppose, you know, it's, it's harder to understand well, why is my kid feeling this way? I don't get it. But they did try really hard to kind of be understanding. And so I think that made it easier for me to talk in therapy because I knew that they were trying and they were being understanding and there wasn't a lot of judgment, thankfully. I don't think there may have been behind the scenes, but as far as it was shown to me, it was kind of love, support and understanding, which was really, really great. And I'm very grateful for, um, but like with Roshni, Safa and, and Shana, I also had, um, friends that I confided in before, um, my English teacher intervened initially. And that was really helpful as well. Cause before that I didn't say anything to my family or anything like that. So, um but yeah and I think I think that's raised some really interesting um topics for discussion and um I know we're going to take this into another podcast because there's so much to talk about so um I think you know you've raised about the fact that there wasn't really a lot of resources around maybe yourselves and we can maybe think about and discuss in the next podcast how we can raise awareness for for young people but also for their families um and you know have more resources and more education around cam services and what we do and how we can support young people and maybe try and think about how how do we remove that those taboos those stigmas and you know and um make it easier for young people to to discuss things with their families and for their families to to help them in accessing the appropriate services so thanks very much guys that was fantastic um and i look forward to our future discussion you've been listening to cams talk 
a podcast brought to you by the Luton and Bedford CAMS team and the Luton and Bedford Service User Participation Group. If you'd like to hear more from us, just go over to camstalk.com and subscribe. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of the other platforms that you're using. Once you've subscribed, you'll get notification on your device every time we release a new episode. If you want to comment or share your views, you can contact us on Twitter using at camstalk, or you can send us an email using info at camstalk.com. One last thing before we go. Don't forget to use the hashtag camstalkpodcast whenever you comment on social media. We'll speak to you soon.